More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I am Kelly. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. It is episode 50 of Survivor Sanctuary, a landmark kind of, and it's just awesome that I get to be here with you every single week for a new episode and that you guys have been following along and listening and interacting for 50 entire episodes. Pretty awesome. And I am looking forward to 50 more. Well, we had some new additions this week to the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And if you have not yet joined us there, I want to encourage you to do that. Just search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook. You're going to be prompted to answer a security question. And if you answer that correctly, I will add you into the group and you can be a part of things there. We've got some great conversations happening all the time. Well, on today's episode, I wanted to switch gears just a little bit. And I say switch gears because a lot of times on the Survivor Sanctuary podcast, we focus a lot and talk a lot about what the church is doing wrong in regards to sexual abuse and preventing it and responding well to it and the church's treatment of survivors of sexual abuse. And I don't apologize for that because honestly, The main reason that I started this podcast was because I saw a need within the church to respond differently to sexual abuse and to allegations of sexual abuse and to survivors in general. So we do talk and focus a lot on this podcast on what's wrong because there's so much that's wrong and there's so much that needs to be fixed. And I think there's so much work that needs to be done in churches to make them safe places for survivors. But there are some things that we can do proactively. You know, sometimes when you talk about the problem a lot and we can't get around it, we just, I don't apologize for it. Again, I said it before, but I'll say it again. I don't apologize for it because there's no getting around the fact that a lot of work needs to be done. But sometimes it's nice to focus on some solutions to problems and ways that we can actually implement some changes ourselves. Now, I feel like it would be amazing if we lived in a magical fairy land where everyone who was not a survivor of sexual abuse would kind of pick up the slack and they would work hard toward making things a little bit easier for survivors. Like that would be the ideal because people who are not suffering as a result of having been sexually abused, it would seem would have more mental energy and more stamina and the ability to kind of look at things from the outside and support survivors. Unfortunately, that's not what typically seems to happen. And if you allow it to frustrate you, like if you're just tired, you're tired of the struggle of trying to heal from sexual abuse and you're just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and it's taking all the energy you have. Maybe you're not ready to start thinking about how you can help make a difference in churches for sexual abuse survivors. And that's totally understandable if you don't have the energy and and I've been there and I'm there sometimes, you know, I'm totally there sometimes where I'm like, I don't have any energy to spend on one more thing except myself and just getting through this day. 
But the reality for survivors of sexual abuse within the church is this. We are the ones that are going to bring about the change for other survivors of sexual abuse. Again, wish we lived in that magical fairyland where non-survivors were picking up those heavy burdens and putting them on their own shoulders and carrying them for us. But honestly, that's not where we live. And I don't see that really happening anytime soon. Um, There are some special people and, you know, shout out to anybody who's listening to this podcast, who is an advocate for survivors, and maybe you've never experienced sexual abuse yourself. There are some amazing advocates who haven't experienced abuse personally, but who are there for sexual abuse survivors. I've met those people and they're amazing, but the vast majority of the people that I would say are really in churches advocating and, and outside of churches as well, advocating for the abused are people who have been abused themselves. I'm not here to argue the rightness or wrongness of it or the fairness or unfairness of it. uh, Because again, you know, when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we're using all of our mental energy to just survive, it can be frustrating that we have to spearhead the healing movement within churches. It is frustrating, but I think that it's just the reality that we live in. So we can be upset about it and it's okay to be upset about it. Like I'm not saying that anybody should stop being upset about it or, or stop admonishing the church or calling for change. Um, but I am saying that it is really a survivor's reality that the changes that are going to come about more than likely are going to come about because you, a survivor stands up and does something that makes a difference. And again, we're not talking about whether it's fair or not, because it's not, you know, it, it really isn't, you know, it it would be amazing if pastors and church leaders and lay people within the church who were non-survivors were super concerned with what sexual abuse survivors face. But the reality is that if something has not touched you personally, it's very, very difficult for you to sincerely be passionate about something. Does that make sense? It just seems like even the advocates who are really outspoken for survivors of sexual abuse are outspoken because it has touched them personally in some way. Maybe a family member of theirs was abused, a wife, a daughter, a sister, a cousin, you know, somebody was sexually abused. And so it's an important thing to them because they've seen the damage that it does. But I really believe that if sexual abuse doesn't touch people personally in some way, that it's very difficult for them to wrap their brains around the importance of preventing sexual abuse, the importance of talking about sexual abuse, of responding well to it. It's just one of those things that if you don't experience, there's this oblivion kind of associated with it. And because that's just the reality of life and that's just the way that it works, we care about the things we've experienced. We care about the things that affect us personally. We care about things when we have skin in the game. So I want to talk about some ways today that we as survivors can actually see some positive changes within the church. And yes, those positive changes are going to come about because of us and through our work and through our dedication and our willingness to speak up and to have a voice and to be heard, even though it's kind of scary sometimes. But I think that when we're willing to do that and we don't look at it as, well, I, I suffered from sexual abuse and so I really don't want to have to do any work toward opening the church's eyes about sexual abuse. And again, if you feel that way, there's nothing wrong with it. You feel how you feel. Nothing wrong with it. Embrace those feelings. Sit with them. Let yourself feel them. Don't shame yourself for them. But When you're ready, I think that taking that first step is really what is going to help open people's eyes and is going to help to 
kind of get a church on a path toward starting to do some things that are really going to help survivors and starting to be safe places for survivors. So it may not be fair that it starts with us, but it's just the reality that healing from sexual abuse and helping others heal from sexual abuse and changing the way that churches view and respond to abuse, it's all going to start with abuse survivors. Having said that, if you are at a place where you're emotionally overwhelmed, maybe you just dove into your story, or maybe you're just raw. You know, some of us, you can go months and months or even years and you can be fine. And then there are times when you just get back into that place. I don't want to call it like a dark place, but just a heavier place where you're just trying to help yourself get through the day. You're trying to help yourself survive. You're, you're going through your own emotions and stuff. Don't take a bunch of stuff on your shoulders if you're not mentally prepared and feeling healthy, or at least in a place where you can shoulder some of the burden of helping churches to open their eyes where sexual abuse is concerned. This is not at all an episode to say, these are the things that you should be doing and that you're obligated to do because you're absolutely under no obligation. But I know survivors, like I talk to you guys all the time. I I talk to you guys on Facebook messages. I talk to some of you on the phone. I talk to some of you in person. And we are a group of people who really want to do things. We want to see change. And yes, there are times when we may not be able to kind of handle it and it might seem a little bit hard, but there are also many times when we're totally willing to do stuff to kind of help turn the tide and change the way the church deals with sexual abuse and sexual abuse survivors. So I just came up with a small list of things that we can do, some proactive stuff to feel like we're making a difference and that actually will make a difference. And a lot of these things are going to be seen as conversation starters. And sometimes that may seem really small, like being a conversation starter in your church. But honestly, that's how change begins. Somebody starts the conversation. Somebody shines that little tiny light on an issue and somebody's willing to put themselves out there and to talk about it and to inform other people about it and educate other people about it. And eventually this becomes a thing that's like a norm for people to talk about. So we start small and we start where we are, but there are some things that we can do in our churches to actually start turning the tide and helping churches to respond better to sexual abuse. Now, if you're not in church, there are some of these things that you can do outside of the church as well. But because on this podcast, we talk a lot about sexual abuse within the church, I wanted to give a list of ideas of things that we can do to really shine a light on sexual abuse within the church and kind of start to educate people and help them to understand the dramatic effect that sexual abuse has on people, like physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and we need that in the church. And here are just a few ways that I think that we can help accomplish that. First of all, and I will give credit to Jimmy Hinton of the Speaking Out on Sex Abuse podcast because I was listening to Jimmy speak at the Courage Conference last year in 2019. It was actually almost exactly a year ago now. And Jimmy was talking about some things that people can do in the church as far as responding to allegations of sexual abuse. And I remember him saying, we don't need to wait for permission from church leadership. He said people are constantly waiting for permission to do things within the church. And 
the church is the body. Like we're members of the body of Christ. And if there's something that we want to speak out about, or if there's something that we want to do, we don't need to sit around and wait for somebody in church leadership to give us permission. Now, obviously there is a system that churches use and there are channels that we need to go through to get things done. And you don't want to just bulldoze everybody, but there are things that we can do that we don't need to apologize for or beg someone to allow us to do. Like, we're part of a church, you know, it's not a dictatorship and there are things that we can do within the church. One of the things that I think is a really good idea for if you're just trying to kind of get your church to start focusing a little bit on survivors of sexual abuse and the upwards of 25% of the congregation that are survivors is host a small group. If your church does small groups, some churches call them life groups, some churches call them Bible studies, but if you have those small groups, and I'll just use the term small groups because that seems to be what a lot of churches use, many small groups are basically just like book clubs, and people get together and they usually choose a book and they go through it chapter by chapter. It's like a chapter a week and you get together and you discuss that chapter and you pray together and you eat yummy snacks and then you disperse until the next week when you do it all over again. And a lot of people right now are doing virtual small groups and that's been necessary because of coronavirus. Thank you, COVID-19. You're the gift that keeps on giving. But if your church does small groups or life groups or Bible studies, you know, your church leadership, they are always looking for someone to lead small groups. Trust me. I was the communications director at a church for a couple of years, and I was in charge of small groups. And I will tell you that we called them life groups. It was the most annoying thing on earth to try and get people to host life groups. It just was. And I hated it. And it was so stressful because I knew we needed a particular number of life groups. And to get somebody to get on board and volunteer and open up their home and let people come and and be there once a week for an hour and a half, you know, it was like an ordeal. And I always breathed a sigh of relief when I finally got that last person like signed up. And then it was just keeping your fingers crossed that people didn't try to cancel and decide they're going to back out of being life group leaders. So churches are always looking for people to lead life groups. And, you know, your church may be different. There may be some people who they have to know you really well if you want to be a life group leader or they have training for them. I hosted training for uh, life groups in my church as well. When people wanted to be life group leaders, we said yes. And then we just invited them to like a training to just give them a rundown of this is how things should go in a general format. And, you know, just to avoid, avoid anything crazy happening. But you could totally volunteer to be a life group or a small group leader, or a Bible study leader, um, getting together as a group and hosting a study on a book about sexual abuse recovery. You know, one book I've always thought would be really good to go through um, as a sexual abuse survivor with other survivors in a group would be Dan Allender's books, The Wounded Heart and Healing the Wounded Heart. You could go through it chapter by chapter, read a chapter during the week. There are always discussion questions. He's even got a workbook for one of his books. And you could totally get a group of people together and have a small group where you just discuss a chapter of that book every week. Listen, I think that sometimes we feel like to lead a group like this, like, oh gosh, I need to be a counselor or I need to be a trauma counselor. Or if I host a small group like this, I'm going to be responsible for like helping people process their trauma. And it's, that's not the case. That is not the case. You do not need to be a trauma counselor in order to host a small group where you go through a book about healing from sexual abuse together. Um, 
if somebody has some deep, deep trauma, obviously they need to see a trauma-informed therapist and they need to get you know therapy for what they're going through. It's not your job as somebody who's facilitating reading through a book to help somebody heal from the trauma of their sexual abuse. Um, so I just want to put that out there. And and honestly, you shouldn't try to do that. You know, it's it's tempting maybe to try and help everybody else with their problems, especially as survivors. Sometimes it's easier for us to help other people with their problems than it is for us to focus on our own. Um, but that's not really the point. You just read a chapter of the book and answer some study questions, talk about what it means to you. And if somebody is seriously struggling, it would be a great time to encourage them to find a therapist who could help them through their trauma. And no, that's not your responsibility as you lead a small group. And really, it sounds kind of scary to lead a small group sometimes, maybe if you don't like public speaking, if you get a little bit nervous, but it is so simple. Like I was nervous too. And it might surprise you because I've been in radio for almost 20 years now and I host a podcast and I'm used to public speaking, but it's always been something that's been a huge fear of mine. I've never liked it. Um, forcing myself to do it and then it becomes something that I'm just used to doing and that I really enjoy. But honestly, I, I still get nervous, you know, speaking in front of groups and stuff. It's always uncomfortable. You always have a little bit of nerves. But the thing that's fun about hosting a small group of people that are just going through a book is you're just sitting and having a conversation with each other, you know, and you can give each and every person in your group a chance to speak and it becomes something that's not really like you teaching a group, but you just talking with other people who are going through the same book you are and talking about some of the experiences. And there are a lot of other books about sexual abuse that are written by uh, Christians and that would be great for small group discussion. Discussion. I think that Mary DeMuth's book, We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to Sexual Abuse, I think that would be a great idea because it really speaks to the church. It's not just a book that's to survivors, but it's actually to the church and how the church can be better at responding to sexual abuse within the church. And I think it would be a great idea if your goal is for people in the church to really start to open their eyes and care about what's happened to a big chunk of their congregation in the past. So suggesting like, hey, you know how this Me Too movement is so big and people have just started coming forward like crazy about sexual abuse. And, you know, the statistics tell us that more than 20% of the people in our churches are survivors of sexual abuse. Well, wouldn't it be a great idea to go through this book from a Christian woman who is still in the church and she loves the church and she's talking about how the church can really respond redemptively to people who have suffered sexual abuse? Wouldn't that be a great idea for a small group? I mean, that's the kind of thing that you could put out there for people within the church to maybe get them interested and not even needing to be survivors of sexual abuse themselves. So there are different books and you might have one in mind that you think is amazing and you'd love to just go through a discussion with people. Well, that I think is a really great way to introduce people to the concept of, hey, sexual abuse is happening to almost one fourth of us and it has devastating consequences and here's what we can do, you know. I think that the small group thing is a great way to start that discussion within your church. 
Another thing that you can do, because we did mention counseling, asking if your church could host a support group for survivors of sexual abuse. And I know that some churches do celebrate recovery, which I know is a good program. There are some people who just absolutely love it. But I think that in having a group that's specifically for people who have survived sexual abuse, it might be a little bit more uh, specialized, a little more niched down so that you can get really specific on surviving sexual abuse and and what that specifically means. And a lot of times you'll have people within your church who are trained counselors and they might be willing. I mean, I know some churches here in South Florida where they've got a a counseling center within the church and they're trained psychiatrists and psychologists and mental health therapists and and trauma-informed therapists. And they are trained in trauma response and they know a lot about healing from sexual abuse. And maybe a person like that, you're not asking them, you know, to work for free or to counsel people for free, but maybe to just take an hour out of their week where they would be willing to facilitate a group of survivors of sexual abuse, just like a support group where they're not necessarily helping everybody to heal, but just facilitating a group of people coming together who are all survivors who are there to support each other. And it's always a good idea to have somebody facilitating that group who, you know, maybe is trained in trauma recovery. So a couple of ideas on groups. I think another idea, if you want to start really seeing some change in your church, is asking to see your church's child protection policy and really taking a good look at that child protection policy to see if there are any holes in it, if it needs um, any revamping, if there are any problem areas. And a lot of the times you may need to have a consultant come to your church to look at their child protection policy and to help train your church in prevention of abuse and response to abuse. And, you know, sometimes a church would be super willing to do that, but nobody's ever suggested it. And maybe you know of an amazing consultant or speaker, somebody who would be a great person to come in and help train the church to prevent sexual abuse and to keep kids safe. You know, if you suggest something like that to your pastor and it's not something that's completely off the wall expensive, a lot of times they're going to be willing to have a person come to the church. Sometimes you could even get uh, a group of churches together and everybody split the cost and to be able to have a child protection like seminar or like a workshop for the weekend where your church is not absorbing the entire cost, but that people can come and learn how to keep kids safe within their church. And I'll tell you this, as a pastor's kid, there are so many pastors, and I know my dad was one of them, where, yes, they have tons of ideas, and they they know that so many things would be amazing, but a pastor is one person, and the problem with coming up with these brilliant ideas is usually what happens is somebody says, pastor, like I'll use the example I just gave of asking to see your church's child protection policy and, and possibly seeing if it needs to be changed or if anything needs to be updated, Um the, the problem with that is somebody will come and say, Pastor, we need a new child protection policy. This one just isn't right. It's not protecting kids from sexual abuse. And, you know, this is just an accident waiting to happen and it's not good. And most people are going to say that to a pastor and then they're going to walk away and expect the pastor to do all the stuff that needs to be done to make it happen. Well, again, your pastor is one person and it's going to be really tough for him to be able to dedicate all of his time to these big tasks and revamping the church's child protection policy is going to be a big task. Well, if it's important to you, what if you volunteered to be 
on the committee of people who head the church child protection policy that you can recommend some changes in that policy and look it over with some other people going through tips from consultants and experts on child sex abuse prevention and implementing some of those ideas. Like your pastor is probably going to be thrilled if you're willing to volunteer your time and it's not going to be his time and get together with a group of people and look at that child protection policy and see what needs to be changed. Your pastor would probably be totally on board if you said, hey, there's this consultant and he's really good or she's really good at preventing sexual abuse and teaching churches really how to keep an eye out. And in this climate where so many kids are being sexually abused, I think it'd be a great idea. Here are some of the ideas I have for how we could raise the money to do this. Or what if what if I got together and, and spoke with people from some other churches and we could all share the cost of this? You know, if you're willing to shoulder some of that burden on yourself, the odds of things happening are so much greater because again, pastors are overwhelmed. They've got so much to do visiting sick people and counseling people, whether you think that they should be or not. People are asking them constantly for advice that they should probably be asking counselors for. They're worrying about church finances. And I mean, you know, if your pastor's a mega church pastor, your mileage may vary, but I'm thinking of just your your kind of average church in the United States. Like my dad was not a mega church pastor. He pastored small churches for the majority of his career. And in those places, you really love those people who are willing to step up and do some of the legwork and not just have ideas because that's a super frustrating thing for a pastor is the idea people. They're like, oh my gosh, this is what we need to be doing. Oh my gosh, this is what's wrong with the church. And they have this list of things that are terrible and list of things that need to be changed, but they're not willing to put any of the elbow grease into fixing it. So one of the ways I think to better your chances of being heard by your pastor and by the church leadership is being willing to get in there and do some of this legwork yourself. So we've talked about organizing small groups. We've talked about organizing a support group facilitated possibly by a a trained counselor. We've talked about helping your church to revamp their child protection policy and recommending a speaker or a consultant that can help train your church in preventing and responding to abuse. And I think that there are a couple more things that might not seem like they're going to make this massive difference, but that I think are key to really opening up the discussion about sexual abuse. And one of them is being willing to share your story with your church family. Now, in churchy language and Christianese, as we call it, we would call that being willing to share your testimony. And yeah, sexual abuse is not easy to talk about. There's a lot of shame surrounding it. We talk about it all the time here on Survivor Sanctuary. With people who don't understand sexual abuse, it might feel a little bit too vulnerable to really put yourself out there and share your story. And I am always an advocate of sharing your story where it is going to be well-received and not casting your pearls before swine and not putting yourself in a situation where you're vulnerable and you put yourself out there and then you get shamed by people. Like, Yes, you want to be careful, but at the same time, I think that when you get comfortable with sharing your story and you're willing to begin to share that story with your church family, even if it's just in your small group or in a a ladies Bible study or a men's group or whatever the case may be, when you're willing to share a part of your story and be vulnerable with the reality that you've lived, I think that that can really begin 
to plant those seeds of change and not to be cliche, but just to get the ball rolling on really opening people's eyes and ears to be willing to hear about sexual abuse. Because again, if you remember what I said at the beginning of the podcast, people tend to care about things that affect them personally. They tend to care about things when they've got skin in the game. And when they know a person and love a person and care about a person and they're interacting with a person all the time, maybe every Sunday, maybe they're in a small group with you or in a Sunday school class with you, or they sit next to you in the choir, when they know that this is a part of your story, I think that it immediately takes a higher place in the level of importance. And I've seen this in my own church family and in my own extended family as well. When I started being willing to share my story of having been sexually abused and surviving sexual abuse within the church, so many people really started to think about it and talk about it for the first time ever and to really care that it was happening. And it's not that they didn't care at all before. It's just that they didn't have a personal connection to it before. And once they did, it really opened their eyes to say, okay, Kelly has been struggling for decades and we had no idea. And there are people who've seen different things that I've struggled with in my life and they've looked at those struggles and once they found out that I had survived sexual abuse and that I had experienced that as a child, it suddenly made sense to them. Okay, finally, we understand like this struggle in her life that seemed to not have an answer and you know, people would always have compassion for me and and they would be loving and supportive but never really understand why I was having these particular struggles that really just seemed to kind of take over sometimes and were just a real thorn in my flesh. And then once they knew, because I was willing to share that I had been sexually abused, it was like these light bulb moments. They just went off and people were like, it makes so much sense now that you struggle in this area because now we understand that that this has had an effect on you. And I can't tell you like the way that that changed the way some people viewed sexual abuse, you know, whereas before it was just a thing that happened, you know, they didn't necessarily have a personal connection to it at all. But once they were able to have that personal puzzle piece like filled in, suddenly it took on a new face and it took on a new meaning. So I think that that's one of the reasons that it's important to share our story. And and if you can, if you have a testimony and, and you have a way that you can talk to your church about how God has brought you through or ways that your relationship with God is different because you are a survivor of sexual abuse. If, if you have something like that that you can share with your church family, I think that, you know, not everybody is always going to have an eye-opener moment, you know, and suddenly start being more empathetic to survivors of sexual abuse. But you would be surprised at the people who will actually do that. And sometimes they're the people you least expect, but that's definitely happened in my own story in being willing to share that suddenly, you know, people I thought would never be an advocate are suddenly people who are like, yeah, you know, that happened to me too. Or yeah, I know somebody that this happened to, and it's, I'm so glad you're speaking up and I'm so glad you're saying something. It really is just trying to help a church family and the, the people that you interact with every Sunday, every Wednesday, or whenever it is, trying to help them just get used to having these conversations, to normalize the fact that we're talking about sexual abuse. Because for so long in the church, it's one of those things that nobody wants to talk about because it's uncomfortable, you know, like pastors don't want to get up and preach about it, you know, for the most part. And people don't want to like talk about it in Sunday school classes and youth pastors don't really want to touch it. But 
the reality is so many people have experienced it. And when you begin to talk about it, you know, you're going to have some people who are uncomfortable and who don't want to hear anything you have to say. But on the flip side of that, you're going to have some people who have been waiting their entire lives and maybe they didn't even know they were waiting, but waiting their entire lives for somebody to start this conversation. So never underestimate your willingness to share your testimony. And yes, you got to be careful how you say things. And, you know, you got to think about, oh, I might step on some toes or there's this or there's that, but just a willingness to share your heart and your story that can go a long way toward opening people's eyes and just getting that conversation started so that if your church was one that didn't care at all about sexual abuse, never wanted to touch it with the 10 foot pole, suddenly they know we have people in our midst and this is something they've struggled with. And these are the facts and we can't just ignore it because they're speaking openly about it. So we've heard small groups or Bible studies or book clubs or support groups for survivors of sexual abuse. We've talked about helping the church to revamp its child protection policy, inviting speakers to the church and consultants to the church that can help teach about child protection. We've talked about just being willing to share your own story. And there's one other thing that I think is really important, and this kind of goes back to what Jimmy Hinton said about not waiting for permission to speak out about sexual abuse in the church. And this one is really important, and it's one that's also going to be a little more controversial in your church. And that is being outspoken about problems within your church relating to sexual abuse or being outspoken about problematic people. And the reason, obviously, that that is going to be a little bit more complicated is because when you start stepping on toes, you can have some bad experiences and not everybody is going to be thrilled that you want to talk about sexual abuse when the church has actually dealt with a situation of abuse. Now, I've left a church and just walked out the door because of their unwillingness to talk about sexual abuse and kind of the way that I was treated for wanting to shine a light on it. I've literally just been like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to go back. And I, I know there are different schools of thought, people who say, don't leave your church, you know, don't leave because they need people there who are willing to speak out and who are willing to speak up. And I, I agree with that. I agree with that to an extent, but at the same time, having survived sexual abuse and feeling that, that shame of just being a survivor and kind of the shame and the weirdness that surrounds people looking at you like there's something wrong with you because you speak out about sexual abuse. But then it's like you deal with the shame of having been abused and then you deal with the shame that gets heaped on you when you want to draw attention to the fact that other people are being abused. And I don't think that church people necessarily mean to do this, but there are so many silencing techniques and shaming people for their desire to speak out is one of those silencing silencing techniques. So I found that when I wanted to help, um, with a situation that had happened in the church, because I, you know, I had lived it and I thought that if I might be able to offer valuable resources, I was shamed by people. I was mistreated by people. I was lied about. And eventually I was just like, I'm just not comfortable being in an environment where I don't feel safe anymore. So I'm not saying to leave your church if something negative happens, but I will say that when you're outspoken about problems or problematic people, you are going to face some backlash. And so that's something that you really have to weigh. Like, 
Am I willing to stick my neck out? And I hope the answer is yes. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it's your responsibility to prevent all of the sexual abuse within your church or be the person who's responsible for making sure that an abuser is brought to justice. You can't put that on your shoulders because it's not your responsibility. But I do hope, I I still say that it is all of our responsibility, not just survivors, but anybody who knows. If you know that somebody is sexually abusing children, if you know that someone is a danger to children and you're not doing what needs to be done to stop them, I think it's a problem. And I hope that everybody would stick their neck out. But I've been in that situation where I've looked at a person who was problematic and I saw over and over again how he was problematic. But because I had never seen him do a specific thing that violated church policy and really because I didn't even know what the child protection policy of the church actually was, but I knew that I did not have any proof and so I chose to stay quiet. And, you know, months and months later, this man was arrested for sexually assaulting a a young boy. And like that sits with me, not saying that it's my responsibility, not saying I could have prevented it. But I regret that I regret not speaking up earlier. And I'm like a 1000% positive that if I had spoken up, people would say, you're just saying that because you survived sexual abuse. And now you think that everybody's an abuser, or you survived sexual abuse. And so now you're just distrustful of people. And you're seeing an abuser under every rock and in every corner. Like I've had people say stuff like that to me. The reality is, I don't think everyone is an abuser. I don't at all. But my instincts kick in sometimes. And there are certain people where I'm just like, something is wrong there. Something's wrong and I can't put my finger on it, but I know that I know that I know it's true. And it doesn't happen with everyone. It doesn't even happen with a lot of people. So I always laugh when I get accused of that, like just seeing an abuser around every corner because I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. And yes, I do talk a lot about sexual abuse and I read a lot about it and I'm kind of immersed in this advocacy world. And so, yeah, you are more like focused in on problematic people and problematic things, but that doesn't mean that you're imagining it. It doesn't mean that you're psyching yourself up to see an abuser around every corner. It's just that you know, based on what you've been reading about and what you've been learning about and hearing all these people's stories, you know the signs and you know when something is off. And it will always be a regret of mine that I didn't speak up and say something. And there's really nothing to say except I was super raw and vulnerable from speaking up about my own abuser and the treatment that I got doing that. And it just made me not want to say anything to anybody. And again, didn't have any proof, just was seeing things I didn't like and thinking, this man is definitely an abuser. I just, I knew it. I knew that he was an abuser, even without having any proof of that. And as it turned out, it was exactly true. And when I felt like the church should warn other parents of children who'd been in the youth group and who'd been around this man for years, you know, I was met with a lot of opposition and I was met with people just basically wanting to protect the church, wanting to protect reputations and not really wanting to warn people that this man had been around their children for years and years. And so it was not pretty and it was not easy. So I will say that being willing to speak up about problematic people, like if you see someone, you feel like they're touching somebody inappropriately. And we actually have a person on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group who has been posting about that over the last couple of weeks, like 
just in a situation where he feels like somebody is being a little too touchy feely with kids, somebody who's being just a little too kind to uh, some kiddos that he's, you know, quote unquote, ministering to. And he's actually taking the steps to speak out and to, to step up and say, like, I need a meeting because we need to talk about this. And kudos to him. Like, I'm, I'm so proud of people who are able to do that because it's not easy you are probably going to face some backlash. It's not going to be easy. Like if you're, if you're thinking, oh, I want to introduce my church to caring about sexual abuse, but I don't want to be like run out of the church or have people be mean to me or talk about me behind my back. You don't want to start with this step, like maybe suggest a small group. But once you start to really um, talk about problems and problematic people, especially, you are going to get some backlash. So I would say be careful with that. And probably you want to consult with uh, somebody who knows a little bit about sexual abuse and how abusers work and uh, somebody preferably who knows a little bit about church policy as well. So I just wanted to give you those suggestions of some ways that we can start um, seeing things change in our churches. And yes, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. It's like, let there be talking about sexual abuse within the church. And unfortunately, even though we're survivors and I feel like we should catch a break, um, it's up to us. It really is. If we want to see the changes happening in our churches. Is it fair? No. Do I wish we lived in that fairyland where non-survivors would pick up the slack and take up the cross? Yes. But the reality is it's not probably going to happen unless we are at the forefront and being willing to stick our necks out yet again, you know, to help prevent sexual abuse within the church and help the church just to become better at responding. And I think that our voices are how it starts. And it might seem like something small, but you never know what your willingness to speak out is going to do for one person in your church. You know, you, you might form friendships with some people who are survivors. Um, you might give an outlet for somebody who has never been able to talk about it to suddenly be like, this is something we're allowed to talk about. And those are big wins. You know, if, if your church never makes a huge deal about sexual abuse and, and your pastor never preaches a sermon, I mean, it's a shame. But if you are able to just give people, other people, the permission, other survivors, the permission to talk about sexual abuse and to just admit that they've been abused and that it's okay that they talk about it, then that's a win to me. I'm a hundred percent. If you have some more ideas of some ways that we can help our churches to be better at preventing and responding to sexual abuse and things that we can do uh, that might help get the conversation started, I'd love to hear about them. And you can post them in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group and let us know what you think there. Again, search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook and request to join. It is a private group and you're going to have to answer one question. It should be very easy for you to answer if you listen to this podcast and then I will add you into the group and you can give us all your ideas right there. I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to hear about your experiences of maybe some of the times you've attempted to get your church to start being more open and talking more and listening more uh, to survivors of sexual abuse. So let us know in the Facebook group. I also want to give you a quick reminder before we go that you can support the Survivor Sanctuary podcast. You can give a monthly gift by visiting anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary. Just click on support. There's a button there in the center of your screen and it says support. And once you click on that, you can give a donation. It can be a monthly contribution of whatever amount you want. 99 cents, 4.99, 9.99 helps us to offset some of the costs of the audio software that we use and the editing software that we use and web hosting 
and just some other stuff that um, I pay for out of pocket every month so that I can bring you this content. Again, that's anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary. And I'll catch you back here next week. I have an amazing guest lined up for next week, and I cannot wait to share this person with you. So make sure that you're tuned in next week for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.